As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Champions League is back and, to be fair, so is the Europa League, Man United fans, which means there's no better time to sign up for all the unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Right now, new subscribers can get a half-price annual subscription that works out less than £1 a week for an entire year. All you have to do is head to theathletic.com slash league show. But hurry, you've only got until the 25th of February. That's theathletic.com slash league show. Big Boss Business based in Bristol, Pearson at City, Barthen at Rovers. Meanwhile, Bradford back both their babysitters, Bournemouth Buzz Woody and Barrow Biff Jolly. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. A very warm welcome, one and all, to this hour roundup of all things EFL. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined this week by the former Arsenal Stevenage Southend and more winger Adrian Clark. Hello. Also EFL goal centurion Sam Parkin. Hello, Matt. Hello, Sam. And from the BBC, the Premier League, but mostly at home at the Vicarage, it's Ace Reporter and Watford fan, Kelly Summers. Hi, Kelly. And a happy Watford fan for once. Hello, Matt. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's long overdue, a happy Watford fan appearance on this pod. All right, let's kick off with this. Performance of the weekend. Yes, 15 seconds per person. Who's done the best performance this past weekend? Uh, Kelly, you can go first. You've gone for Queen's Park Rangers. Your 15 seconds starts now. Six wins from seven for QPR, but this was a result that proves it's not just about Charlie Austin. What a signing Johansson from Fulham is as well. He got a goal. Yes, they rode their luck, but they look solid since going to a back three and they took their chances, unlike the Cherries, who were, let's not forget, unbeaten in three. Good. Thought you were going to get bang on 15 there, but, um, but pretty I paused. It was the deadly pause at the end that killed me. <laughs> um, Clarkie, you've gone for Cambridge, one of the many places that you were born slash grew up slash come from. Um, your 15 seconds to convince us they gave the best performance this weekend starts now. Yeah, clinical Cambridge United stuffed the much improved Stags 3-0 away from home to stay top. They had a clean sheet mentality from back to front. And Magic Mullins' brace puts him on 22 league goals for the season. One of them from the tightest of angles. The striker's just too shy now of the club record. Ooh, very good. Enjoyed that immensely. Um, Sam, you've gone for, for Bradford City. They've been taking League 2 by storm. Your 15 seconds starts now. 
Yep, seven wins in 11 for now. Newly appointed joint managers Mark Truman and Connor Sellers. Brilliant defensively and always carrying a threat. The perfect recipe, you might say. Callum Cook laying two on a plate for Andy Cook to notch his first goals for the club. The Bantams cooking on gas up to 13th. Oh, look how pleased he is with himself. Very good. <laughs> I've just realised, I think I've t- I did Bournemouth a disservice in mine. They were more than unbeaten in three. Sorry, Bournemouth, but it wasn't about you. It was all about QPR. <laughs> Sam, how long did you spend working on those cook puns? Re- yeah, it's just a really enjoyable morning, Matt. I'm not going to lie to you. I thoroughly enjoyed my breakfast. <laughs> good stuff. Right, I've gone for Huddersfield. My 15 seconds starts now. Uh, the only choice this week, nearly a whole first team out injured or suspended. It mattered not to C-Dubs boys who went one better than Man City in hitting four past Swansea, who were 23 points better off than the Terriers on Saturday morning. A first league win of 2021, busting coupons <laughs> Good. Head to at the Totally Show on Twitter to vote. Okay, high time we said hello to our old friend, the Championship. Now, sir, remember a tattoo is permanent, so tell me one more time what you want. Uh, well, I want Bruno Fernandes knocking a liver bird off its perch with a free kick, with Ollie as a kind of, like, god in the sky. Oh, and Champions 2021 on top as well. I can't see anything going wrong there, Man United fan. But if things don't go exactly as expected, Paddy Power's Acker Insurance gets you a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, excludes shop bets, excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begamalaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, defeats for Swans and Bees leave Canary seven clear at the top of the Animal Kingdom slash league table. Meanwhile, at the bottom, there are whopping wins for Brum, Coventry Forest and Huddersfield. Jonathan Woodgate has got the Bournemouth gig till the end of the season. Nigel Pearson set for Bristol City, so Robin's preferable to Ostriches. And Stoke legend Ryan Shaw crosses packed his bags as he exits the Potteries to get into Miami. Word of warning, Ryan, I've heard the rainstorms ain't nothing to mess with. So Bournemouth decided against appointing a Premier League legend with a brief and whiffy managerial record and instead gave the gig to Jonathan Woodgate until the end of the season, at least. Uh, Kelly, you're our nominated Bournemouth correspondent. What's the, <laughs> what's the buzz around Woody's appointment? I think it's mainly surprise, to be honest. Um, The reason there's such a surprise around this one is all of the people that I still speak to, I used to work at the club, all of the people that I still speak to that cover the club um, were adamant the club were going to make an external appointment. They came out and they said that and they've kind of ended up back where they started because I know Jonathan Woodgate only came in a couple of days before um, Tyndall was sacked, but he still does count as an internal appointment because he's been internal for the last few weeks he hadn't been interviewed as of Friday he said that in his pre-match interview ahead of the defeat at QPR that was despite winning three of his first four games the Cherries did make the approach to Montreal we're told maybe it was financial barriers such as money to get him out or his wage demands demands and um, the fans were left pretty unspired uninspired I'd say there was a little bit of concern about Henri's record at Montreal with the fans but this one's left them really uninspired just because I think it's the questions of ambition and just what's gone on the last few weeks to get to this point but the positives the players have spoken very fondly of him and yes they lost at the weekend and of course QPR should get a performance of the week but it could have been very different. Bournemouth did have so many chances. There's still a brilliant squad there. So I don't think it's a disaster and I can see why they've done it. But nine wins in 41 games at Borough. I think that's kind of the Borough fans are very chippy on social media at the moment saying to the Bournemouth fans, he's not great. So it's a big test for him to get them back up. But 
they're they're in the top six, and yeah, it's going to be an interesting an interesting few weeks. Uh, Simon Reid on Twitter asking for our thoughts. He says, looking in from the outside, does it suggest a laziness and reluctance from the club to search for a candidate that will properly shake things up, or is that not what we need right now? What do you think, Adrian? I think they. I think it's a legitimate accusation because there are no end of, of, of quality candidates available as Kelly rightly pointed out really poor record for, for Woody at Borough who let's be honest improved massively after he left they leaked a lot of goals under him uh, up there on Teesside and, and, and I think Bournemouth probably need to tighten that part of their game up they're always going to score goals I think with the quality they've got in their squad so I don't know if this is the right appointment, really. Um, it did make me laugh. Neil Blake, the chief executive, said stability would be the key for the club <laughs> going forward. So what do you do when you're looking for stability? You give a manager a contract, don't you, until the end of the season. That's that. That's, that's long term for Watford, Cocky. <laughs> <laughs> that screams stability. It just feels to me like they either couldn't afford Henri or didn't want to pay up um, in the here and now to get him. It was too much hassle and they've just got a stopgap. And that's, that's a slight lack of ambition, isn't it, when the Premier League carrot is is dangling right in front of you? Sam, last time we had uh, Paul Cook on, Paul Cook, by the way, still out of work, he was uh, lamenting the use of, the vin- of interim managers in the way that, that Clarkey has just done then. What does it do to a squad, knowing that, that your boss now might not be your boss later? It's, it's got to be a motivational issue for some players, at least. Possibly, um, if you're thinking about contracts and and stuff like that. But not, I don't think it affects a dressing room too much, to be completely fair. I think it's a bit of a strange appointment. I was there on Wednesday for the Rotherham game and it's a similar... I left with a similar type of feeling about Bournemouth. So many good players, creative players, yet not flourishing at all. And with Cardiff in particular, motoring as they are... Um, I feel that Bournemouth really have to improve or is they going to drop out? And I, I just felt maybe an opportunity to give someone more experience alongside Jonathan Woodgate and Stephen Purchase, who I know well. I think big Steve Fletcher's involved in the coaching as well. Um, someone a bit more experienced alongside those guys, not to have too much trauma, I suppose, right now would have been the way to go. And having spoken to a lot of the people down there last week, I know this will sound mad, but the best candidate was probably Eddie Howe right now, um, <laughs> which is would seem incredible. And and obviously because there's a lot's gone on, I would imagine to see Eddie leave the club, it's probably not um, something that was going to happen. But I just think Eddie knowing the players, having the success before um, to come in now, maybe till the end of the season would have been sensible in terms of getting the results. But probably something that wasn't going to happen. But yeah, definitely um, the the way I would have gone in front of the Thierry Henry option anyway would have been to go for Woodgate. So not uh, completely uh, as big a mess as I probably anticipated a week or so ago. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned Eddie Howe there. He's been linked with the Bristol City vacancy and apparently the reports suggest he's waiting for a Premier League job. He's actually been in this Premier League building that I'm sitting in now. I'm in the studios today and he's been in here a lot and he's been a brilliant pundit. But yeah, he's apparently looking for a Premier League job. Who would you, when you looked at the list of names that were linked, who would you have said would have been better, Sam, than when you talk about maybe David Wagner? Would he have been a good appointment, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure. It sounds like he was interviewed. And, and maybe that didn't go particularly well. 
And also, if you think back to the way that Huddersfield got up, it wasn't getting yeah. the best out of your attacking <laughs> players, was it? I think they, the only team or certainly it raised a few eyebrows because they went up with a negative goal difference, I think, and didn't score in the playoff campaign or whatever it was. So, yeah, I'm not sure he would have been right, but definitely someone that's had more experience, I think, with a, a championship squad, you know, someone who's maybe got them up. I mean, Nigel Pearson's obviously going elsewhere. He would have been someone maybe that ticks a few of the boxes that I'm talking about. But yeah, I, I, I don't think, it doesn't feel to me like Jonathan Woodgate wanted the gig going down. Circumstances have, have played into his hand and maybe having a taste of it over the last few weeks has meant that, you know, that uh, that urge was a little bit stronger. Sam mentions Nigel Pearson there. Producer Abby in danger of breaking her arm, patting herself on the back this week after a superb piece of booking. Not only do we get Kelly's expertise on the Bournemouth managerial situation, you're also best placed to tell us about Nigel Pearson after his thing at Watford last season. As we say, at time of recording, looks as though he's bound for Bristol City. Is that, that a decent appointment for them? I think so in terms of galvanising. I know Watford's a very different run club, but what what a lot of the Watford players said was when he came in, he put an arm around the players and he really got to grips with everything. Uh, His man management is meant to be brilliant and he got a tune out of those Watford players in the first couple of months. I'm one of the ones that wasn't quite so adamant Watford would have stayed up under him just because there was a few slightly odd tactical decisions in the last few games um, I think everyone knows what you're getting when you get him in. He's done some brilliant things in the game. He speaks so very well when you hear him in the media as well. He's obviously a character with some of his other incidents that we've seen in the media that I don't want to mention again. But you've already mentioned on this podcast ostriches, so I think we'll leave it at that. Um, I think it's going to be interesting, actually, because if he is appointed, he's probably going to be appointed by the time this goes out, isn't he? Um, his first game will be against his former club, Borough, on Tuesday night. And you can just imagine he'll get them up for that. So I think he'll definitely get a reaction. Um, and at this level, we've seen what he can do. So yeah, I think... Uh, brilliant appointment as I thought Paul Cook might get it but I'd be very happy if I was a Bristol City fan right now. Uh, Let's move on to some actual football chat. Join me if you will on a virtual trip to St Andrews virtual home of Coventry City who inflicted a third defeat in succession on previously unbreakable Brentford. Tyler Walker's brace enough to hand Coventry the W and thus end their winless run. Uh, Sam as well as Dez's son you were also impressed by Callum O'Hare and Max Biamu in this one. Yes definitely I thought the the little alterations that Mark Robbins made really paid off. I thought Liam Kelly into the midfield was vital in the, in the victory, but also just we've seen it a few times this year. I remember, you know, speaking about it in the in the autumn, just flipping it from the the two number tens to the uh, and one up front to to put in the two up there. And um, yeah, obviously it's with an eye on on how teams have had success against Brentford. It's not that simplistic, but. Stopping them playing out, difficult pitch, getting an extra body in the final third, it, it worked to an absolute T. So as um average as Brentford were, you know, considering their ridiculously high standards over the last few months, Coventry were absolutely brilliant in, in doing that, but also the way they defended. Thought McFadgen led the back three brilliantly. So great performance, much needed um from Coventry and um yeah, you have to give them credit uh, as poor as Brentford were. Yeah, five points above the bottom three now, albeit they've played two more than third bottom. Rother and Brentford, though, what's happened? This is what Thomas Frank said. We are just in that sticky patch when things happen like this. And as I said before the game, it's the championship. This happens, so we just need to do the best uh, we can to get out of this as quick as possible. 
Uh, he even got the refs to change kits at halftime to try and help his team, but that didn't work. Kelly, three defeats in a row. First time in more than two years that's happened. The temptation with this kind of thing for a team generally doing well is to say, oh, it's a blip, they'll come back. But then we think back to what happened at the end of last season. Maybe something similar happening here. I don't think so. I think I think they'll be all right. I think they've got the quality. I think they really miss Ivan Tony when he's not there. He said it's only a minor ankle injury. I just felt that Coventry had their number. They realised that if we restrict them to hardly any chances, easier said than done. They pressed them and they harried them really high up the pitch and Brentford just couldn't deal with it. And they're going to get that more and more this season. I think it was just an off day, as Thomas Frank said, just a bit of a sticky patch. But they need to get out of it quickly because... Looking at the top of the table, it's other teams are coming into form. Obviously, Swansea, we'll talk about them shortly. They lost at the weekend, but they're a brilliant side. Norwich got over their blip. Watford are now on a bit of a run as well. So it's going to get tight up there, but I, I still think they're up there. I think they are still the second best team in the league, probably. Yeah, bad day for them with Rico Henry's hamstring going twang. Also wonder, Clark, if David Raya, who seems to have changed from David Raya in, in recent weeks, is, <laughs> is due some criticism, should have saved the pen maybe. Definitely at fault for the second goal with that poor clearance. Yeah, well, he is in terms of the execution of the pass, but it's still a, it's still a sort of set-piece goal kick that he's been instructed to do. So he's putting he's been put in a position where he's been asked to do that and these mistakes do do happen, don't they, from time to time? Credit, I think, Coventry for the, for the way they laid the trap and, and, and then punished it brilliantly. I, I really enjoyed the, the turnover and then that little swivel swivel finish as well. So, so yeah, Brentford are just not as good defensively as they were last season. I think that, that much is clear. They're not as solid in central midfield, in my opinion. There's obviously, there's some strange selections as well in this game. De Silva was on the bench, Dalsgaard as well, but... But yeah, at the back, just haven't had that same stability, have they? Where they had Pinnock and, and Janssen last year, almost every week. And I, and if you look at the stats, they've conceded at least once in thirteen of their last fourteen games. Brentford, it's not sustainable, is it? Over the course of a season, where you need two goals minimum to win a game. Now they were doing that because Tony was on fire, but but you you can't you can't win three two every week. So. That is the area that Thomas Frank needs needs to fix. I did online. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it. A lot of bees fans they want Thomas Frank out, which, which just seems, seems remarkable to me. Yeah. I think it was post match reaction. You know what it's like on on socials, but there's a lot of unhappy Brentford fans at the moment. How how quickly things change. I completely agree agree with Clarkey. We don't know what goes on on the training ground either, but to leave the silver, Dalsgaard, I thought Fosu as well, who's been in, in brilliant form, was a little bit strange. And moving forward now, I just felt Rico Henry was the the one player that they, they couldn't afford to go down and get injured. You, they could probably get away with it elsewhere, but now missing Janssen, Norgaard and Tony through the spine and Rico Henry, for me, probably the best fullback in the division. They've let Thompson go out. I think Dean Ashton said this on Saturday to Swindon. So what they do in the week, God knows, against Sheffield Wednesday, I think maybe there's an argument he could play Fosser at fullback, switch Dalsgaard over, but he might have to go to, to three centre-halves and finish the, the way they did at Coventry with maybe Canos um, playing or, or Fosser in one of those wider positions. So that's a real big body blow. Forget the results right now. Just think of the players that are out. I know teams have it across the board, but the top players at Brentford is a big issue. 
And speaking of shock results, Huddersfield 4, Swansea 1. Last week, Huddersfield lost to rock bottom Wickham. Now they've beaten Steve Cooper's high flying Swans and with some ease, goals from Fraser Campbell, Lewis O'Brien, and Dwayne's double as he continues to celebrate his home's coming. Um, Kelly, I've got this down as the, the shock of the season. Huddersfield, no wins in eight before this. Eight players out, injury or suspension. Where on earth did this come from? I think it was three goals in seven minutes. Um at the start of the second half, which just meant this game escalated quickly. It was a relatively even first half, and I just think Swansea couldn't believe what had happened, really. Um, I was impressed. I was impressed with Huddersfield. I thought they were good. I thought it shows they've got life in the old dogs. Sorry, terrible, terrible pun to use that um, at the bottom because I was worried about them. Um, Swansea, it was weird. It was just one of those afternoons. I think they just have to write off and say, it was a torrid afternoon. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. The injury to Jordan Morris in the second half. I've seen some fans saying that actually worries me more than the results because it was it was pretty cruel for him. It's from an innocuous challenge and it doesn't look good. I also wonder with Swansea if there was a tiny bit of tiredness and if that team needs freshening up a little bit. There was a bit of a hangover from midweek. I thought that Jamalo's been brilliant, but I thought that maybe he looked a little bit tired. The same with Ayu. So I wonder if um, Steve Cooper might make a few changes for their next game. And actually, Sam, we'll come back to Huddersfield and give them some more love in a minute. But but Kelly's point there, I think there's a lot of credence to that because I watched Swansea play against Forest last week and, and obviously I'm hugely biased, but Forest totally outplayed them on their own pitch. And Steve Cooper didn't make any changes from that game to this one. Maybe in hindsight, he would wish that he, he had done so. Yeah, quite possibly. I think it's it's um, it's right not to get too carried away because they've been so consistent and it's been based on such a brilliant defence. So they were due an off day. Um, but yeah, the, the last few performances not been brilliant. You can go back to the Brentford draw as well, where Brentford were by far superior. So maybe it's been coming. I thought Corey Smith might have been an option for this type of game in, in the midfield. But yeah, I, I completely concur as well what Kelly says. Jordan Morris, that could be the difference I know he's not you know scored yet since he's been over and not had loads of game time but just to have a real talented backup to Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe to have him missing now is really sad and he's already had one terrible knee injury so that's really bad for him but credit credit Huddersfield now we're going to come on to them um did a job on them at the Liberty um played a a similar way, matched them up on both occasions and, and got the results. So great uh, tactical decision from, from the manager on it, you know, with a number of, um, you know, personnel decisions and, and positional as well at the weekend. You got it bang on. Yeah. And that Dwayne Holmes second goal was a stunner. I've um, got to give, as Sam says, Clarky, Carlos Corberon some, some credit for his, his tactical setup here, haven't we? Because he, he totally uh, outfoxed Swansea. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, the goals were great. It was one of those where it was one of those days where, where most things flew in. A brilliant goal, wasn't it? From from Holmes. Really, really enjoyed that one. But yeah, no, he switched the formation. It, it suited the players that, that he had available. Um, I, I, yeah, Richard Keogh, I think, is, is better in a in a three. And it and what he did, he, he brought in the youngster, didn't he? Aaron Rowe to play at left wing back. And that meant Lewis O'Brien came into midfield. And they were both in in positions that that, that helped them shine. And um, O'Brien was 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 superb in the game. Lovely goal from him. And and Aaron Rowe, big big boost. I mean, he, he was really outstanding. It'd be a crowd pleaser because he, he's he's one of the younguns that's come through the ranks. And it eases the the pain, doesn't it, of, of losing Harry Toffolo at the moment. So yeah, he probably won't won't be a regular when Toffolo's back. But uh, a big performance from him. 
and yeah, Corbyn got 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 his tactics spot on, done the double over Swansea. So um, yeah, Steve Cooper would be glad not to see him until next season. I think. Uh, we mentioned Jordan Morris's injury there. Sam saying on Quest on Saturday could hamper Swansea's chances of getting into the automatics. Who's that currently in third, Kelly? It's only Watford. Might be good news there. Now, I was away last week and, and the last I heard was all the talk that, that Watford were going to make Disco move his butt, butt, butt with the club set to dump him like a truck, 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 truck. It's all <laughs> turned around. Um, how's this happened? I'm eating a massive slice of yellow humble pie and it's the best humble pie I've ever tasted, to be honest, because I didn't say that I thought he was that he should go. I just said no, that you the did. pressure yeah, you was definitely did. alluding. <laughs> uh, the pressure was not alluding. Stop distracting me, Clarky. I said the pressure was mounting just because of the way Watford is run and we know what, what they're like. But credit to him. Little did we know that on Monday when I came on that podcast and spoke to you three gentlemen, that on ahead of the game on Tuesday, I think it was, the players sat down. Was it Tuesday? I can't remember. Anyway, that week, the players sat down, some of the senior players, and got the other lads together and just said, look, this isn't good enough. So the players took some responsibility. They had this meeting amongst the players. And the performance that followed against Bristol City, yes, Bristol City were are arguably, as it stands, one of the worst teams in form in the, in the division. But they put in the performance that showed. And he put the players in their correct positions. I think I heard Clarkie talk about it last week, the influence that Will Hughes had. He played a 4-3-3. The reason Will Hughes has not been in the team as much as we'd like is because he's been out with injury-related issues and COVID. And when he's played, he's played on the side of a midfield four, which is just not his position, and he just looks completely lost. So played a 4-3-3 with Chalaba, Cleverley and Hughes. And we've played them in the last three games and we've got nine points. Yes, you can look at Ishmael Assar, Ken Semmer. They've been brilliant on either side. Semmer had a bit of a dodgier game at the weekend. But Will Hughes being in there just gives the creativity, gives Saar the licence to get forward. And yeah, all of a sudden, those that drab nil-nil that I came on after when we drawn at Coventry feels a long time ago. The only thing that worries me a little bit is if we do lose Will Hughes to injury or Ishmael Saar or one of those players. But players in the right positions, happy players, players playing with a tiny bit of swagger. We weren't brilliant on Friday night, uh, but who knew? And also now I'm looking back going, gosh, if we played this formation months ago, where would we be? But yeah, in brilliant form, long may it continue and long may there be no more injuries. He's a bit slow, isn't he, Ismail Islah? Just a bit, a bit <laughs> sluggish, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> if he could be any quicker. Jeez, I saw a couple of, there was a couple of clips. Because now it's obvious what they're doing. They just get the ball to him and he's just beating his man. That's like, you just know he's going to. And now he's just putting a hopeful ball into the box because as soon as you give Ismail Islah the ball, all the Watford players get into the box and know that the ball's going to come there. It's just guessing where it's going to go to. I'm sure there's a bit more to those tactics. But yeah, it's uh, try and stop Ishmael Asar if you can. I've never known a club to have so many meetings in all my life. Must be a bundle of laughs at London, Colby. But I don't think there's week too many... Hours of meeting, a meeting. No, I don't think there's too many player meetings. Like, I, get, I guess there's a lot of board meetings and a lot of managerial meetings. Yeah. But I think the players have been criticised and rightfully so over the past couple of years because you can say all you like about the culture at the club and the managerial decisions that are taken. But at some point you have to take responsibility as players. And I think we've seen that this season with Cleverly on the pitch. He's been revitalised and he's been captain with Deeney out um, and he's been brilliant and I, I led to believe he was instrumental in that and even Ben Foster while he's not playing I think these players have just gone boys this division we can take this by the scruff of the neck we've got the players uh, but credit to Munos as well I came on here and I said I wasn't sure of some of his tactical decisions he made the big calls ahead of Bristol City they paid off 
And it looks like things are turning around, but this is a crazy division. But he didn't call the meeting, Kelly, did he? He didn't make the meeting. So, you, so that's you why I'm crediting the players for the meeting. Uh, maybe he did call it, but I'm led to believe he didn't. And then I'm giving Cisco the credit for the team because the players didn't pick the team. I'm call me a dinosaur, but I've never been in a players meeting that wasn't the most awkward 20 minutes of my life, oh, of my week. Hated my goodness. Called by the players, you're just like, ah. Oh. Why is he talking to me like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just I would have like, loved to have been a, f- a fly on the wall because there's a lot of uh, different nas- nationalities in that dressing room. Mishmael Asar still speaks to a translator. So I would have loved to have seen the dynamic of how it all went, but I really couldn't care less. Whatever was said in that meeting has paid off. I never said anything in any of those meetings. I just cringed my way through them and just wanted it to be over. It's just yeah. the loudest. The loudest people just have their say and talk over everyone that's that's my experience of it and everyone's biased towards their own uh, their own views yeah similar similar experience uh, on this podcast i've got to say now then one more championship game to touch on briefly now we know that all's well at troy Deeney fc for the time being um it's <laughs> sheffield <injured>. wednesday <laughs> yeah that's helping it's sheffield wednesday nil birmingham one abby's writing on the shared doc vvvvv brief one question um i'll put it to you therefore adrian birmingham out of the drop zone thanks to to scott hogan's goal over fellow flop sheffield wednesday uh, the obituary's been written for the blues last week i felt um is this a sort of result that can can turn a season round or was it just they beat one of the few teams who are as bad as they are thanks in no small part to having an extra man for most of the second half I think the second part of your elongated question was was about <laughs> right yeah don't get too excited I think is the message to, to, to Birmingham fans it's been around about a thousand minutes since anyone apart from Hogan or Bella scored for Birmingham, so 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 they need they need others to to chip in, need to create a lot more chances. It was an awful game, probably predictably so, and they nicked it. And it was a very questionable red card, in my opinion. But but yeah, positives. Uh, Gary Gardner was good, um, clean sheet, etc. But but yeah, a lot more work to do for Birmingham. All right, it's that time of the show where we build a midweek hacker with the help of Paddy Power. Adrian, your selection comes from the Championship. Yeah, I'm really sticking my neck on the line here. I'm going to tip Wickham to lose um, at home to Reading. Um, Reading um, have been pretty good away from home, haven't they, all, all season? And Wickham, despite putting in some, you know, some pretty respectable performances, the bottom line is they've only won twice at home, and, and their record against teams in the top half is pretty disastrous. So, so yeah, I'd, I'd fancy Reading to react to to their recent loss and uh, and put things right Wickham. Uh Sam you've also gone for a, a championship safe bet. Yeah, just p- purely because I like winding you up. Um Matt <laughs> um really dull aren't they Forest so only scored well there's only been two goals in their last three games. Um I know they've performances have, have improved I'm only messing about but um, yeah not scoring many not conceding many and Rotherham lost by the solitary goal in the last two I think there's a bit of a lack of creativity there I saw them at, at Bournemouth obviously and big reliance on on Crooks and, and Smith to keep going and get them enough points so I would imagine that would be something similar to what was played out at the City ground earlier in the season which was 1-1 I'll take Dull over Hapless any day of the week Abby can we get some odds on those please you can indeed. Uh, Reading, unsurprising favourites for this one. Nine to ten. If you fancy Wickham, they are three to one. And for your uh, under two point five goals in Rotherham versus Forest, that is six to ten. So that double comes in at around two to one. 
Just before we head into League One, time to tell you about the Athletics' big quizzes. In short, they're keeping you entertained this lockdown with a quiz every night. So if you fancy yourself as a Sheffield Wednesday SWAT, a Watford whiz, or a Nottingham Forest know-it-all, then we have the quiz for you. Not only will it keep you entertained, it's all to raise money for prostate cancer. Head to theathletic.co.uk slash PCUK to find out more. Little teaser for you. Sam, how many European Cups have Forest won? Um, two. Yeah, that's right. That's double the number that London have managed. Right, League One, you're on. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines in teams beginning with B managerial news. Bristol Rovers have appointed Joey Barton as successor to Paul Tisdale. There were 32 goals across all 12 matches in League One this weekend. That's 2.6 per game. We'll talk about the two high scorers momentarily. Lincoln and Peterborough occupy the automatic promotion places after wins at the weekend. Swindon are out of the relegation zone following their victory over Crewe. And Kenny Jackett made an early return to Fratton Park on Saturday. Portsmouth's poor form meant the gaffer couldn't have that much-needed R&R post-surgery. Instead, it's more like, ah, my arm. He had arm surgery, you see. Uh, Here's John Sands asking, will Bristol Rovers become Joey Barton's Bristol in the mainstream media, thus irritating every football fan in the city? Kelly, you're the mainstream media. Are you going to be calling them Joey Barton's Bristol Rovers from now on? I saw that tweet. No, I will not be. It's like the other day when I talked about Watford and Derby, I made myself not say Wayne Rooney's Derby County. So do not worry. I'll be trying my very best not to. Can't guarantee it though. <laughs> Adrian, you like this appointment? I think he's a good manager. I, I think two and a half largely successful seasons at, at Fleetwood. It wasn't going horrendously bad when, when he left his post. Obviously, for the most part, he handled himself better than anticipated as well in terms of relationships with, with the players and, and other managers. One or two high-profile sort of slip-ups along the way. But but in the main, he, he wasn't the loose cannon that many predicted he might be. And yeah, I, ju- I just think he's a, he's a, he's a pretty shrewd, shrewd manager. F- Flea would play good football. They were well-organised. And uh, they could, yeah, they could do with... Um, Fresh energy in the place. He's bringing his whole backroom staff with him down there, down there to Bristol. I'm, I'm guessing that they'll either relocate or spend the bulk of the week sort of down there in a hotel, which would be different for, for, for him and for those guys. Um, I, I understand that there was a little bit of a stumbling block over recruitment. And I know that that, that was part of the reason Tisdale left. They wanted a striker. Jaden Stockley and Andrea were two that he was really after and they didn't happen. And, then there was a bust up behind the scenes in terms of, um, yeah, not getting the, not being on the same page recruitment wise. Barton, I think, has come to some sort of middle ground, saying, "Look, I, I need to have the final say on on these things," um, because I know that they've got a very good director of football in, in Tommy Widrington. But, but yeah, I, I wouldn't blame Joey Barton for for wanting to have a decent say in who comes in. So yeah, no, I think I think it's an upgrade on on on. Um, on the previous, previous manager, so to speak. You can't really judge Paul Tisdale's reign, really. Um, so, yeah, wish him well. 
Uh, to the on-field action then, uh, Doncaster 3-hole, three 3-hole three were 3-1 up, but a Bogle pen made it 3-2, and then deep, deep, deep into stoppage time, up stepped James Coppinger, who I am contractually bound to inform you, listener, is 40 years old. We're 11 minutes into stoppage time at the keep mount. Coppinger, Bostock over it. Coppinger's going to take it right foot to Coppinger! added the music to that one I didn't realise they won a trophy with that goal I didn't realise this is it you you are exactly right me and Abby had this debate yesterday she thinks that's the greatest thing ever I think that that is not commentary it might as well have been on Sky Sports Fan Zone (laughs) I love that um, we're on a FaceTime and Abby is going mental at that suggestion (laughs) Uh, let's move on quickly and talk about the game Uh, Sam Doncaster, they have been on on a poor run, so, so this is a real morale boost for them, given the the circumstances behind the equaliser. Yeah, brilliant result. They'll be feeling amazing after the the last few games where they've really dropped off. And um, I think I got my Huddersfield analysis bang on last week, and I'm going to credit my pal Clarkey here because he spoke about Bostock. If memory serves me right, last week that was the catalyst for this turnaround. Just had a little look this morning. He had 61 touches in the second half, which blew absolutely everyone out of the water. Just for some context, uh, centre-halves normally have their lion's share of uh, of the ball. They're normally top of that particular stat. Anderson had 47 uh, in the second half um, for Doncaster. So they completely um, dictated the ball. He pulled the strings. I thought Bogle was really imperative in the turnaround as well. Uh, so those two in particular uh, were the reason they got something. And Grant McCann was quick to say that with and without the ball in the second half, miles off it, didn't get the press right and um, couldn't play out through Doncaster either. So Was it partly uh, down to Hull? Maybe sitting on their lead and dropping dropping too far back? You know you know what it's like when you've got that lead, you, you put those two banks of four up and, and sort of say, come and break us down. More kind of recognise that and bring, brought on the playmaker. Was I think so. A little bit self-inflicted from Hull? I think so, and um, I think Hull have been so successful across the whole season without the necessity to have loads of the ball. So I think maybe this was uh, maybe a defeat that was going to happen at some. Uh, uh, sorry, going to be a, uh, a performance that dropped off um, to this degree was maybe going to going to happen. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a really thrilling game, and obviously Malik Wilkes w- would have got the headlines because he's in magnificent form. He was on the cusp of two back to back hat tricks, uh, couldn't quite manage that, and and Coppinger gets a share of the spoil with the type of goal he's been scoring throughout his career. I'm sure that I've been on the pitch when he's produced something like that probably 15 years ago. I also wanted to point out the kit that they were wearing. It was the third kit, the gold kit that um, James Coppinger designed. I'm not sure if this has ever happened before in football, where a player designs a commemorative kit to mark his 17 years at the club. It kind of was gold. It had the sash from one of his favourite strips and he designed it with his son as well. So I imagine he'll be getting a few of those framed, which makes this nice story, as Abby pointed out, even nicer. Yeah, we're going to design our own kits at the end of the pod, listeners, so stick around for that. (laughs) Let's move on now to MK Dons 4, Northampton 3. We're going to tell you this story via Twitter. Abby's going to play the role of the Northampton account, Albie MK Dons. Over to you first, Abby. Two minutes. What a start! 
Oh my God, Andrew Sermon, four exclamation marks. One, one. Will Grigg, four exclamation marks. Two, one. Get in there, we're level. Less than a minute after the restart, Watson hammers home a pinpoint strike into the bottom corner. Come on. Yes, back in front. Marshy completes his hat-trick of assists by whipping the free kick perfectly onto the head of Kyoso to nod home. Keep this going, boys! Heart emoji. 83. Jerome is on the end of Gladwin's pass and smashes past Mitchell. Cameron Jerome. Charlie Brown! Three exclamation marks. 88. What a mental game. Brown is on the end of Harvey's cross to give hashtag MKDons the lead. We have a corner. Please. 90 plus 6. Fisher saves! Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. I don't think we really need to do much more analysis on it. Um, other than to say, Sam, Charlie Brown, our friend from the Chelsea Dev Squad, really needs to work on his knee slides. That was embarrassing for the young lad. I, I, I can't say that I paid too much attention to it, to be honest, after everything that went before. But um, now, please, please for him. Really good start to his MK Don's career. Um, yeah, Russell Martin got his, his changes really bang on. Two goals, obviously Jerome and, and Brown, and two assists from Harvey and, and Gladwin. I think it was in a, in a game which they definitely didn't deserve to win. So they're they're, they're the best ones as a player. Let me tell you, um, you know, coming back to score twice in the last six or seven minutes um, when you get in that dressing room, you're absolutely jumping. But I think we have to credit Northampton for not only on Saturday but the last few games. Loads more of the ball, loads more touches, loads more possession, less long balls. Um, they're trying to change the way that they play, essentially. And it's a cow field as well at MK Don. So <laughs> w- well done for both teams for sticking to, I suppose, Northampton. You know, their principles now are changing and MK Dons are very unique in what they do. So that would have pleased both managers in what was a, a thrilling game. And, w- and wasn't it nice um, to see one of those stage-managed fake free kick where you go and pretend to kick it and stop and then start again wasn't it nice to see one of them actually come off I think it must have been a few years since since the last one I also think we should give a shout out to Will Griggs I think it was his first goal in 16 months he's been through a bit of a torrid time didn't look very happy did he (laughs) he no I was surprised I was at BBC at the time and when he scored I said to the researcher that was with me oh can you um can you look up if he's done anything his celebration or anything she said he said no it's quite muted celebrations and yeah He's the most laid-back geezer I've ever played with, and I'm sure I've banged that drum on this podcast before, but Will was just like a student. He was just like, well, who's this this chap coming in on work experience to the training ground? And then <laughs> when he got a few in the corner, he realised, but he didn't spend much time on the training ground. He was in his car when I was still <laughs> taking the mud off my boots. I, most laid-back geezer ever. So um, loved that he's gone on and achieved so much because he's done brilliantly. Yep, somebody send a packet of highlighters to Stadium MK Pronto. Uh, back to our definitely not doomed Acker. I've gone for Blackpool versus Doncaster, both teams to score. Abby, I thought that was a surefire bet. And then Clarkie crucified me on the group chat for going for it and not looking at Blackpool statistics. What odds will Paddy Power give me on it? Uh, incidentally, you get uh, the same odds on both teams to score yes and no. Uh, they are both 17 to 20. I you know, don't know what you read into that. Blackpool, the narrow favourites, though, 11 to 10 with Doncaster, 12 to 5. And uh, that treble at the moment has gone from, well, it's gone from a 2 to 1 double and the treble is uh, 4 to 1 now. All right, then. One league left to cover. No prizes for guessing where we're headed next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. League Two headlines, BT manager news. I told you there was a lot. Bradford have put their interim managers on a long-term contract and Barrow have sacked Michael Jolly after his spell in charge can be described as anything but. Cambridge top the table. They're just a point clear of FGR following their 3-0 away win at Mansfield. That after Forest Green won at Newport on Sunday. And Bolton scored the luckiest goal of the weekend with the wind claiming the assist. Uh, we're going to start our league to look back with Sam's performance of the week. Cheltenham nil, Bradford 2. There's a saying about Cooks, they score goals. Andy Cook scored a brace, having been fed for both by Callum Cook, as Bradford continue their astonishing ascent up the table. Top of all the form tables, 24 points from their last 12 games. That's as good as Cambridge. Up to 13th, and Truman and Sellers, not a law firm, have been given the manager's job on a full-time basis. Kelly, Two managers, one job. Doesn't normally go very well. And when I say that, the only ones I can think of are Gerard Julio and Roy Evans, so who knows? Maybe there are loads of other successful ones. But this feels like a bit of a gamble, despite the recent form. Yeah, it does a little bit, but they've been together a couple of seasons now. I think they started with the under-18s at the beginning of 2018-19 season. You can't argue with the form. 24 points from 11 matches, winning seven, drawing three, losing only once. The recruitment was good in January. don't know how much that was down to them. I, I don't think it's that big a punt in these times with Bradford on this run. Why why alter it? Why not why not give them give them it full time? But yeah, the joint element of it is interesting. Again, we talked about wanting to be in the dressing room for player meetings. I would love to see the dynamic and how it works. I'm not sure if either of you boys have ever played under joint managers and quite how it works. No, I haven't got too much of a problem with this though, considering they've both come through the uh, the, the system uh, at, at Bradford, they've been working there. They've obviously done brilliantly well. In an ideal world, you'd have probably wanted one of them to say, I'll oh, I'll lead it and the other one take the uh, the assistance role. But the, the, form's, the form's brilliant and they couldn't not give them the job because the turnaround has been monumental. I think they've got all the supporters on board, 4-2-3-1, same system, Loads more flair in the team. Some really nice patterns of play, I thought, at the weekend. Sharp, incisive passing. Why not? And obviously, we always think back to Julio and Evans. That's the uh, the inevitable thing to do. That's the natural thing to do. But I think the game's changed. You, normally, at academies now, you have a lead coach and then you have an assistant. So it's um, it's probably just a title, isn't it? Just to put them on an even keel. And the players are responding really well to them. Their age is is quite remarkable. Their combined age is less than Yemo, which is remarkable, <laughs> really. Clarky, uh, can I jump in there? Did anyone know this is Scott Sellers' son? What? I did know that, yeah. yeah I, I didn't know, know that. that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know. I'll give yeah. you that, Matt. Yeah, he's, he's 28. So look, It's a ringer, by the way. It's a ringer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Yemo, Yemo has a year on them if it, with, with both of their ages combined, which is quite remarkable. But look, it's worked. But also, I think um, the club or... The club deserve a bit of credit for flexing their muscles in January as well. They 
they've paid fees. I mean, who, who in who in League Two is paying a fee these days? But but they, they did. They brought in Noel Canavan from from Plymouth. Dropped down a division to play for his boyhood club. Obviously, uh, Danny Rowe came in from Oldham, and and other other moves as well. So um, so yeah, they've, it's not just down to to those two, even though they've been sensational. They brought in good players and showed showed a bit of ambition. Good on him. Salford won, Carlisle won, meanwhile, near the top of the table. Carlisle taking the lead through George Tanner, but James Wilson there just 10 minutes from time to grab Salford a point with a stylish finish. Good substitutions uh, from Richie Wellens here. Unbeaten at home still, Sam. You still tipping them to, to win the league? Yeah. Yeah, I am, actually. I think it's so difficult to call. I think Forest Green, maybe, considering the, the recent form, would be the only ones I'd be a little bit frightened of. But yeah, I think Salford, I've got a system again. Richie Wellens has stuck to it. I think the last four or five games, maybe like a 3-4-2-1, two number 10s off, off Henderson and a little switch in that paved the way for the equaliser with Henderson, um, picking up some more deeper positions, sliding some balls beyond Carlisle. And um, so obviously James Wilson, I think, played as a nine uh, towards the end and they got the goal. So it probably should have been more considering the, the territory, the possession and all that. But... Carlisle um, having a brilliant season, dropped off themselves, but this is a you know a bit more of a grittier point, I suppose, than what we've seen from Carlisle before. So they'll be pleased with it as well. But but yeah, to answer your question, I'm such a big fan of the manager Matt, and obviously they've got they've got the depth in the squad to to do it. And when there's not an obvious candidate, I'm just going to go for those ingredients that I've just mentioned to to get them over the line. What about Carlisle? Kelly, I'm really intrigued to see how it goes for them. They play five fewer games than Cambridge, who are top of the table. Now, supporters will look at that and go, well, we win those five games. We'll automatically do that. So we'll be up here. Reality is not going to be like that, is it? They're probably going to have to condense those fixtures into into a pretty brief period of time. So it might actually be more of a hindrance than a help to, to have those games in hand. Yeah, I haven't done the maths, but I know when Portsmouth's fixture congestion came when they had loads a month or so ago, the local journalist was tweeting saying there's there's only one more Tuesday or one more midweek available now for all of Portsmouth fixtures to fit in. So for Carlisle, it must be Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, right now until the end of the season. So yes, I think they're nine points off Cambridge with five games in hand. So yes, do the maths, win all of those, they'd be top of the table. But as you said, not not that easy. And I also think it's taken them a bit of time to get back up to speed. They were very resilient at the weekend. I, I was impressed. It wasn't the best game, was it? Uh, there wasn't too many chances, uh, but they were very resilient and they found a way to keep themselves into that game. They held on to that lead for so long. But yeah, they're going to need a little bit more and tiredness and injuries and everything and COVID, God forbid, if anything else happens. Yeah, I don't think it's as simple as you say, but um, it's not a bad position to be in. They're still in with a shout of promotion. I guess it means, Clarky, that your physios, your medical staff have got to be right on top of things. And that's the case with everybody this season. Yeah. Um, and training. You, you've got to be quite smart with your, with how you use the time because you, you can't really run the players um, that are involved in the games. So, so yeah, yeah, the masseurs, if they've got them, I'm assuming they have, they'll be working overtime, won't they? Everyone will be getting a rub and, and yeah, there'll be limited training between between now and the end of the season just working I guess on on tactics more than more than the physical side of it um John Mellish is is one that 
that he sort of, Kelly talked about coming back up to speed. He had COVID. He was the guy who was on fire, of course, from midfield, scoring every week. And he, he's, he had an injury, he's had COVID, and he's starting to, to feel his way back. So, so if they can get him going again, results will probably follow. Uh, let's round off this ACA then. Kelly, we're coming to you for our League Two pick. What have you gone for? I'm going for Bradford for all of the reasons that we've already discussed to beat Leighton Orient. <laughs> Abby, what odds will you give me on that? I'm distracted by um, by something which will become obvious momentarily. Yeah, me too. Bradford, 6-5 to five to beat Leighton Orient. And uh, for the record, Leighton Orient are 23-10 to win that one. So altogether, our ACA comes out at 11-1. to one. Good stuff. For more information, head to the Paddy Powell website. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. And that's just about it for this week. Before we say goodbye, in deference to James Coppinger designing Doncaster's kit, I want to know your favourite kits for any of your respected clubs. Clarky, I've got to come to you first because you're wearing one, which is... Um, Pretty offensive to to the eye. Uh, just describe us, describe it for us. Well, this is Southend United's uh, famous custard splat kit from. Um, it's the one. Well, I didn't wear this, but yeah, it's from around ninety seven to ninety nine. Yeah, the Southend fans love the custard splat. Um, so yeah, I I would introduce a custard splat wherever possible if I was a kit designer. I love custard as well. So are you sponsored so, by custard this week? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if I was to design an Arsenal kit, I think I'd go white with a giant red strawberry flavoured custard splat across across the front. Custard available in all good shops now. Um Sam, what about you? What's your dream QPR kit? What what changes, if any, would you make? Oh, I'd bring back the Guinness sponsor. That was the best kit of all time. QPR eighties, blue and white hoops, just with Guinness. I'd I was talking about sponsors at the weekend and Stephen had been sponsored by Burger King encouraged me to go and have a uh, uh, their, their rivals fast food on the way home <laughs> <laughs> just because I saw Burger King on Stephen Hitch's kit. Um, but my the, my favourite kit of all time is Fiorentina, purple, Batistuta, floppy collar. <laughs> Nintendo sponsor on that one. Is seven up and then Nintendo. Amazing. I just loved everything about it. So it'd be, you know, something like that, I reckon. I love the purple. Uh, speaking of Italian kits, Clark, you'll remember with fondness that time that Arsenal was sponsored by Sega and they played away to Juventus in the Champions League and they couldn't have Sega on their shirt because it means something quite different in Italian um, to what it means in English. Uh, Kelly, Watford always got quite horrible kits, I think. Um, Thank you. Any way that you could improve those? Or- how can we talk about kits without mentioning Bristol City's current goalkeeper kits? Uh, this is the Denmark remarkable. 92 ripoff. Yes, but I just think they're incredible. I didn't realise that. And when I was at Watford Bristol City the other week, obviously uh, the goalkeeper was picking the ball out of the net quite a few times. And it's like, um, it just looks like a unicorn's been sick on it. <laughs> it's the only way I can think <laughs> about it. Um, and then the home kit just looks like a disco ball. So I'm a big fan of both of those. But for me, it's tricky. I'm, I'm not a big kit lover. In terms of the first kit I bought for Watford in recent years was last year, and now I've got the kit that we got relegated in. So I just ignore kits basically. And um, when I was uh, the first game I went to was in the 97 98 season, we were sponsored by CTX, and it was just a very plain yellow kit with a red sash straight down the side. But the big thing for me is it would have red shorts. There's always a debate with Watford fans red shorts or black shorts, always red shorts for me, and I would love them to come back. So that would be the winner. 
Um, I bring back some variant. You guys will surely remember this, although Kelly probably wasn't born, of that horrible forest away kit that was yellow with really gross pattern on it and all all red and disgusting stuff, um, which is a bit of a cult classic. I had it. Bear in mind, I was 14 years old and earning £2.22 to stack shelves at my local co-op at this time. You can get custard from co-op, by the way. Uh, I had Bart <laughs> Williams 6 on the back of it. 50p a letter, including for the hyphen. I was done for the month. That was all my money. Um, still got it though. And it was signed by the great man too. So, you know, might get my money back if I put it on eBay now. Uh, that's just about it for this week. Then George and Ali will be here with TFLS Extra Time on Thursday. We'll be back same time next week. Until then, many thanks to Adrian, to Kelly and to Sam and to producer Abby, mainly to you though, listener. We'll catch up with you again soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. <laughs>